So today, I want to ask you about connect and conquer specifically. I want to be educated today, Cameron. Okay. So tell me, why is it called that? I'm curious. I'm going to ask a lot of questions. Hopefully that's okay today. Yeah, that's fine. Um, when my family, we, we've been going through a lot of hardships and we got together and I said, listen, there's an opportunity here for us to build a business together as a family. And everybody wanted to participate, like everybody. And um, so because of that, I we talked about what we wanted to do, how we wanted to help people out. And uh, we brainstormed a bunch of ideas, came up with a list, used a little um, chat GTP to uh, flush out a bigger list. And then everybody voted. Um, oddly enough, I did not vote for Connect and Conquer as the name, but it had uh, the most votes. And when we narrowed it down, it then became overwhelming and I was in the minority. So that's why it's uh, called Connect and Conquer. What was your, what was you, what did you want it to be called, Cameron? Probably something really lame. Cameron. Cameron's way of making sure the family loves each other and doesn't fight anymore or they're going to get a whipping. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. It, you know, I, I shouldn't name things. I mean, with my number seven child, we actually had to change his name afterwards and have his birth certificate and social security card changed because I should not name things ever because it, it did, it was not working out. So anyway. your wife didn't go for your wife just decided that Aloysius was not the name she wanted to have on his birth yep. certificate. <laughs> well, Aloysius was okay, but the middle name of Nestle really threw her off. Nestle? Yeah. Aloysius <laughs> Nestle Watson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we've just given some people some ideas, haven't we? By the way, you know, you know where Aloysius comes from. I don't know if you know. I don't know. Uh, Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure is a movie with uh well you you might have heard of Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, but I know he, that guy at one is. point in the movie at, at one point in his movie, it's a deep cut, right? Only people that really love Pee Wee Herman have ever heard that his middle name is Aloysius. Because you really gotta pay attention or it, you'll just completely miss it. <laughs> That's funny. So his full name is Pee Wee Aloysius Herman. Yeah, yeah. That's that's his full name. <laughs> Yeah, I Here's, would have never so gotten there. Just, you just said something interesting, and I want to I want to pick at you about this, okay? Because I've seen this. You said our family was going through some. Did you use the word challenges or difficulties? You said a word there. Our family was uh, going through some things, probably. rough times, hard times. Yeah. And so you said so. I said, "Here's a chance to build a business," and they all and you got them together. So my question to you is, usually when people are going through hard times or facing challenges, it's hard to, uh, it's almost like you have to get out of the chaos first before you make a decision. And it sounds like you just set them down and said, hey, let's, and you didn't, you didn't try to escape the, you didn't try to get your head above water before you said, let's take a step in this direction. I'm curious about that thought process. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, we kept waiting for things to get better. Um, we kept, in fact, it, it got 
So if you rewind a, a few years, um, my daughter had heart surgery. Another child of mine broke her back. Uh, I ended up having an abscess in my lung. Uh, my wife had six or seven surgeries within a short period of time. And it was one thing after another. My nephew committed suicide. My other nephew attempted to commit suicide. My son be, uh, started struggling with suicide ideation um, and self-harm. And I just, I kept, I kept going, well, this has got to be the bottom, you know, can't get worse than this. And then it would. And um, I stopped telling people at church what was going on because it just got, you know, it got ridiculous. You know, when, when more than one person in a given week says, oh, you're, you know, you sound like Job. It, it's not, um, that's not a compliment in a lot of ways. It, it's, uh, it, it's interesting to be the recipient of that. And I know that their hearts were in the right place and they were just trying to say, wow, you're going through an awful lot. But, um, you know, I, I went back and I read the Job story and number one, uh, none of my immediate family had been uh, had passed away. And then number two, my wife didn't tell me to curse God and die. So I knew I wasn't where Job was, but we'd had one thing after another. And then my oldest daughter, so my daughter, Mary, broke her back. And then just, so we've been going through these things, struggling. And every time I thought, okay, we've turned the corner, we're starting to go up, something else would happen. And my daughter, Elizabeth, was in a horrible car accident, rolled multiple times, and she broke her back. And so that's two broken backs, right? And then moving forward, things continuing to, to go wrong and some things going right. And we feel blessed for being able to overcome those things we were able to overcome. But then we would get hit with another major thing. And I, I remember when my son broke his back, it was ridiculous, um, this was the third broken back in less than three years. And, uh, my, I think, my, I think it was my daughter, Rachel, who's number six of eight. Um, when we told her that Hyatt broke his back, she just laughed and it wasn't mean, right? It was just like, well, of right. course he broke his back. Right. What else? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, and, uh, then the final straw that broke our back, right? The final straw in our family was <laughs> I was in a car accident and I suffered a pretty severe concussion. And I was hurt physically, my back and stuff, but the concussion made it impossible for me to work. I couldn't look at my monitor. Um, it, it was the place I was working. They tried to adjust my schedule and it I became a middleman. So I would take a message from the leadership team and then pass it on to the people who were doing it. And it was, they, they tried to, they tried to make it work and they, they treated me the way that you hope a business will treat you when they're small and they can't, they can't, they can't survive, take care of you at the same time. And so uh, they right. had to let me go. And so then now I'm unemployed and I'm battling depression. That that was an interesting thing. That after the car accident and the concussion, I got really depressed. And um, every time I rode in the car, I had anxiety inside. And that was like new. Um, 
just every time someone would hit the brake, I, I would tense up and I would start looking around for, you know, cars to see if they were going to hit us. It, it was just bizarre things. And I talked to Sarah and I said, I think we need to start sharing our story because we, like I said, we had stopped telling people because we were, we were the family that you could count on. We were the ones who would show up. I, we, if someone needed help, we were there. Uh, we, we handled what I thought was a lot. It turns out it wasn't much at all, but we were the ones who would serve. We would come rake your leaves, uh, during the middle of, in the middle of COVID, we, um, uh, our volunteer men's organization, the paint, the town of Boise, they, they shut it down because they weren't able to do things. And yet there was a family who was counting on it. And so our organization just stepped in and did it and painted their home. And, you know, that it was just normal for us to do things and to serve. And then as things started to happen, it was like, Oh yeah, this is weird. This happened. And then another thing weird that happened. And they thought I had cancer because I had this big abscess inside my lung. And, uh, we just stopped telling people because it was so ridiculous. And then I talked to Sarah and I was like, you know, we can't, we can't hide. We can't hide this anymore. We, we need to start sharing it with people. And I think we can help others who, who may be going through the same thing or may not know that they're about to go through something and maybe something that we've learned along the way can help them uh, move forward and uh, progress. And so this was my car accident was in April. Um, I was in a, unemployed in May and in June, we decided to start to record um, our stories and to start to share them. And we're not going for perfection. We're not trying to make it awesome for anyone else. We're just trying to get all of the stuff out so we can kind of figure out where we're at and then maybe start to help other people. And uh, two weeks ago, I interviewed someone with my wife for the first time outside of our family and outside of you know our discussions. And uh, it was really interesting. It was a couple who had had a stroke and it was so fun to hear their story and hear, hear how they were able to overcome things. And even though I'm, I didn't vote for the name connect and conquer, I did get behind it rather quickly when I realized that to overcome adversity, anxiety, and depression, you have to have connection with yourself, others, and deity. And that, that really solidified it for me. And I talked to each one of my kids and asked them how, are you going to help people connect with themselves, others, or deity? And they all had answers that just blew me away. My daughter, Mary, she says through the written word. And so she started a website and I'm going to get it wrong, but it's like love Mary Carolyn is her website. And she's, she's writing the newsletter for connecting conquer. And it's going to be a physical newsletter and it'll go out. The first one goes out at the end of October. And it's, um, that's her gift. And then my daughter, Elizabeth, uh, she's really into journaling. And that's one of the ways you can connect with yourself is by journaling or to write inventories. If you're, if you've ever been exposed to a 12 step program, it's one of those things where you identify your, and you connect with yourself. And then another step is to connect with deity. So we, 
all of the kids had things to share. And one of the most surprising things is even my seven-year-old, there's a clip that um, I'll text Sarah and ask her to send it to me so I can send it to you. But we were up camping and we were talking about anxiety and what causes anxiety. And my seven-year-old son said, I said, is there anything else? And my seven-year-old says, yeah, um, it anxiety is like when all the things come at you at once and you can't do anything because they're all there, you know, he's seven years old and he understood what it felt like to be overwhelmed and his, um, his innocence about life. Uh, it just, it comes through as you realize that this kid who's family has been through the ringer knows what it's like to have anxiety when everything comes at you at once and you don't know you can't do the first thing because you don't know where to start so that's that's really where it came from and our desire to help others and i'm a firm believer that you got to get out of your own way um i don't like to wallow and I felt like I wasn't able to serve others because I kind of got into a rut of where people would ask me how I'm doing. And instead of being pleased to see them, and I just wanted to avoid them. And I wanted to isolate because I was depressed and I didn't have good news to share. You know, it's like, oh, well, Sarah had another surgery. Yeah, this time I'm packing the wound. They left it open. So I take gauze and I stick it into her stomach through an open wound and I pack it twice a day. Yeah, that's how I'm doing. How are you? Right. I, it just got to that point and I realized it. I was losing. I was losing the battle of life and I wasn't a good sports. I wasn't playing the game of life fairly. And I was, I was that sour, curmudgeon, yucky person. And that's not who I want to be. I want to be someone who can uplift and help. And so by just accepting the fact that this is how my life is, okay, now what? I'm not going to just worry about, oh, everything goes wrong. You know, what is it going to be this month? I'm going to start telling the stories of how we overcame because we have been overcoming. We're still kicking, you know, my son is alive. That's a miracle. Two suicide notes and uh, self-injury and deep, deep depression. He's alive. Five hospitalizations in a, about a year. That's, that's a miracle. And we learned so much in that process. I hope we can share that with someone else so that if their kid, maybe their kid's not going to be suicidal. Maybe it's just a little bit of ideation or not wanting to live, not wanting to die, but certainly not wanting to live. Maybe we can talk about some of the things that have helped us. And so that's, that's where it all came from. And then the question became, well, how are we going to pay for this? And so we, well, before um, you go too deep into that, before you go too deep in it, I want to, I want to back up a little bit. Okay. Because I want to, I want to tie a bow on a couple of things you said and make sure I'm clear here. All right. Okay. A couple of things you said that jumped out at me were one is every time you thought it was going to get better, it got worse. Yeah. And you were going to wait until it got better to do something, 
but you it never happened right it continued to you continue to have uh difficulties and challenges hit you and as you start to get and and to go back to my original question and i think this is the point that i think is as powerful that you're saying one is um i think too many of us live our lives thinking okay I can get through this challenge and get back to normal or happy or good life, right? Yeah. We're all searching for the white picket fence, good life, right? And and too many of us fall into a trap of, you know, it's really difficult now. I'm in the chaos. When the chaos is over, I'll make adjustments, yeah. right? It's almost the uh, the story of the guy who had the leaky roof, right? And the guy came over and said, "You want me to li- you want me to fix your leaky roof? No, it's it's sunny. Don't worry about it." And then the guy comes by and it's raining. And his roof is leaking. He says, "Well, don't don't fix it. I mean, you can't fix it now. It's raining." As the water pours into his house, right? Yeah. And I think I think the the lesson I'm learning from you, and I think we have both come. We both know this, but and I think it's what we live, which is you can't wait to make adjustments or to make a plan until things get better, right? When things are bad, that's when you need to start making a plan. And I love that you just, in the middle of it, you called your family together. Now you could have said, hey, we really need to help other people, but we're in too much trouble right now. You could have said that and it would have it would have been justifiable, right? It's very easy to do that. And I know- I think I did that I, for a while. I, that, that's, that was our norm, right? It was like, you know what? I'm not going to volunteer here. We got to take care of our own stuff. We need to stabilize. We need to get our head above water and then we can help others. And you said, that's the other thing that jumped out at me is you said you got to where there were so many difficulties in your life that you didn't want to see people because you didn't want to share your bad news. And you started to isolate, which when you're depressed and not feeling good and you isolate, you're adding to that. You're adding a flint, you know, you're throwing wood on that fire, right? Or leaves or paper, something that burns real fast. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because, and you don't want to be around other people because you are depressed or you're discouraged or you're, you feel like the whole world is piling on. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you, you don't want to go. You can't serve because you're just trying to figure your own crap out. Number one. Number two, if you do go serve and people say, how are you doing? You don't want to lie about it. Yeah. And you don't, you're not the kind that wants the sympathy or the empathy or whatever it is they do. It doesn't make them feel better to know you're struggling. Right. I've, I've experienced this too. Right. Somebody will say, how are you doing? And I'll say, do you really want to know? And they say, hi, you know, no, I'm not sure. You know, Maybe and I'm, I'm like, not. Oh, I'm doing great. <laughs> Cause you don't want to know. Right. I think you might have turned your camera off, Cameron, incidentally. Yeah, so so there you go. To tie to tie a quick bow on that first question and and solidify the point, you know, my program for parents who have kids on the autism spectrum who are facing these at home autism challenges, mm-hmm. I don't call it I call it thrive in chaos. Right. Right? I don't call it stop the chaos or you know, fix the, the chaos. I call it thrive in chaos because I think for us to assume that it's ever, we're ever going to be given a break so that we can become happy. 
right? Or or we're, our life is going to stabilize so that, oh, now that my life is stabilized, I can be the person I really want to be, right? I can serve others or I can I can uplift others. You know, I think your point, which I love, is you called your kids in in the middle of it. At some point you said, you know what? If I keep waiting, I'm never going to find a solution. I'm never going to address this. Yeah. And so I would challenge those people listening. Listen, if you're in the middle of it and you're trying to stabilize, one of the best ways to stabilize is to is to grab your family, put them together and make a plan. Right. That's the. And I'll tell you, before Shelly passed away, I called my family together the Friday night before she passed away on Monday. And I called them together before it even happened. And I set some parameters and ground rules and said, here is what I'm going to do. No matter what. Right. And I said, I wouldn't because I think that's going to give me peace no matter what. I think that's going to help me. And I would invite you to join me. And uh, it sounds like you invited your kids to join you as well. Yeah. A big part of that as a parent is to is to calm yourself. Right. When when chaos is erupting around you, it's easy to join in the chaos. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you can calm yourself, the, the storm will pass if you can calm yourself. Right. And even if the storm is is around you and swirling and it's hard, if you're calm as a parent. Right. And you can see things in, in a certain manner, it's going to calm your kids. It's going to help them to say, oh, I see that mom and dad are together on this and they're working at it and they're going to I can. I can be comforted in that and maybe join in. All right. Yeah. So a couple of things I think are pretty I'm curious. Now I want to ask you, go ahead, Cameron. I'm going to let you finish. I want to, well, go I was going to say there's, um, you know, going, uh, some of it I've been talking to my, I've been training my kids in philosophy in the philosophy that I have of towards life since they were babies. Right. That's it. I have really great relationships with my kids. We discuss things. I ask them questions. We, when they have a problem, we talk about it. And it's, it's one of the best things about being a dad. The, um, I realized I wasn't living the advice that I was giving my kids. And that, by the way, I just wrote that, as you said it, I just wrote not just talk, live, right? That's, that, those are my notes because I was going to ask you about that. Keep going. Yeah. I was just going to ask you about that. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I told my kids when they were going through a hard thing, um, whether it was sports or rejection or something like that, I was like, well, hey, don't don't let your problem be your world. Make it part of a bigger story that can help you or other people. And turn your adversity into something that is worthwhile beyond the experience of getting through it. Cause getting through it is a step getting more out of that step by living. Now that takes, that takes some thought. And I, I remember talking to one of my, my kids, they were having problems that they didn't want to go to an activity anymore because they really didn't like the people. And I said, you know, this is a great opportunity. Let's talk about it. Hey, how, do you think this is healthy? Do you think this, there's what, what value could you get out of going? Because it wasn't the typical value, right? It wasn't enjoyment, fun, 
building relationships. They didn't want a relationship with these folk. So I said, well, what can you gain? And it was learning how to change your expectation from getting stuff for yourself to see if you can pour into others. And this, this theme of making it bigger than yourself, I, for me and my family, it became the, uh, just about us. And it was terrible. It wasn't healthy. And so when we decided that we were going to share our stories, it's, it's odd and uncomfortable doing it. Now you've done a great job over the years and I've watched your videos and I've read your posts and I've read your articles and I'm like, okay, I know I can't be Kyle, but I can be me. And so I just, regardless of what my family was going to do, I was going to start sharing the story, the stories. Now it surprised me how enthusiastic all of them were going to be about it. And, you know, we have meetings every Saturday morning and it, they're fun. Uh, it's our, it's our business meeting and we get together, we talk about business, but the business is, it's so weird, Kyle. It's about how do we get this story out? How can we help more people? You know, th this is the impact we're having right now. And we, we are having an impact. It's bizarre that we are, uh, let's see, June, July, and we launched our website, I think in August. So we're August, September, October. So three months in and the, the results we have based on numbers is just, it doesn't make sense. And I'm not counting those as anything except exposure, but our, we're, we've gotten good at getting stuff out of our minds and into the spoken word. And my kids are excited. I have three kids who are working for the company as their primary source of income. They don't have other jobs. And that's, that's pretty exciting for me because I get to interact with them far more now as their boss than I ever did as their dad, you know? So it, it's very interesting to sit here and go, wow, we decided. And I was not healthy, by the way, when we decided I could, I was limited to two hours of screen time at a time. And then I had to have two hours off. And if I had a headache, I wasn't to get on my screens at all. And that's a horrible place to be for someone who makes their living at a computer screen or interacting in meetings. So we decided before things got better at all. And that, that was our focus. Get out of our own way. Make this, oh, that's hilarious. Make it about uh, others and how could we serve them and really apply all the things we've been talking about as a dad to a kid and as a spouses together Let's apply it. Let's see what happens and see if we can improve the experience, even though we can't, there was literally nothing we could do about the environment or the things that were happening to us. We couldn't change the fact that two, uh, that three of my kids are on the autism spectrum. There was that, we can't change that. We can't fix that. So what could we change? What could we adjust? Well, we could adjust what our, where our vision was. We could adjust what we did every day and we could adjust how we handled the next thing that is coming that it, there is something coming. 
I don't know what it is, but I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm no longer waiting to get back to this idealistic normal. Did we have an idealistic family situation before? Oh yeah. You know, we were, we were flying, we were cruising through life. I loved every aspect of my life and people would complain. I'd be like, well, they have a bad attitude. Yeah, no, I just <laughs> problems, right? Then I got some problems. Yeah. And, oh, this is harder. Life is harder than it was has ever been for me and my family. But it's okay. I'll get back to where it was easy. Nope. Oh, man, it get, got worse. Now I just want to get back to where I thought it was hard. And, you know, now I'm like, you know what? If this is the way my life is, the rest of my mortality... I'm okay with it. I, I can get joy and I can serve and I can expand and I can grow where I'm at. I don't have to wait for something else that is outside of my control. I'm going to, I'm going to touch on two things. The, you talked about impact to others. Yeah. Right. And I'm curious and I don't want to, I don't want you to answer this until you until I tell you the second thing, but I want you to go back and answer this. Okay. Uh, I'm curious about the impact that the effort of having an impact on others is having on your kids and you. Okay. So I'm going to turn it back to the right the uh, productive narcissist in me. Okay. Right. So I want to, I want to hear a little bit about that because I know it's changed your family trying to serve others has obviously had an impact on others, but I know it's had an impact on you and your kids. And I want to hear about that a little bit, but I want to share with you a, a, a an example of a story I had a few years ago where I was working with a guy whose wife had had a baby and he, he was coming into work looking, I could tell he was getting beaten down worse and worse as he was coming into work. And after a while I could see, I could, I could see that it was, tough on him, right? And, and having a new baby is tough on everybody. I get it, right? It's, you don't get any sleep. There's a lot going on. But I went to this guy and I said, hey, what's going on? It seems like, you know, you're, you're carrying the weight of the world. And he said, well, my wife is having some real severe postpartum. Mm. And I don't know where this is going to lead. I'm nervous that it's it's so bad that, that you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if should I put her in the hospital or institutionalize her? I mean, it was all these different options, but it was, it was at a point where he was concerned about next steps and it was, it was right. roughing him up. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's hard. And I remember having a chat with him and we just talked about a few things and eventually we kind of took the, the process you're taking right now, which is through conversations, we got to a point where, where he said, you know what? I said, are you going to, are you going to leave your wife? And he said, no, I'm not going to leave my wife. And I said, okay, then it sounds like you need to make a plan to do something besides be beat down. I could see it. Right. Yeah. And, and together we kind of talked through some things and we kind of created some ideas and he went off on his own. And I remember the next day he came in and he was doing pretty good. And the next day he was doing better. And the next day he was doing better. And, over a couple of days, I said, hey, what's going on? You look like, is your wife recovering? Is everything getting better? And he's like, no, I have a plan. And I'm working on my plan. I'm taking action and working my plan. 
and it's the the idea that I'm working towards a goal is changing the way I view it, right? Mm-hmm. And you might even know this. I don't even. You might know this guy, Cameron. I don't even. I don't know if you. You might know this guy. Well, <laughs> I. I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me. We we run in a lot of the same circles, which is weird because we are not geographically. You know, we've not been in the same area, but yeah. Hmm. Right. And uh, it, it was interesting, but I, the idea that when you're facing, right, when you're in the middle of something, it's hard and you yeah. just want it to be done. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think what can happen sometimes, and I'll, I'll share one more story before I want to get back to your kids and the change it's made in them. I used to, back when I lived in Texas years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I worked for a company that was, I was the only white guy in the whole company. Okay, it was about 15 black people and me, right? Mm-hmm. And I was their outside salesman, and I did a lot of work for them. But anyway, it was a big family company, and they brought me in to do some very specific work. And I loved it. I loved the, the interaction. It was, a, it was a great company. The owner, was he was just the greatest guy. But one of the interesting things was he had his, his sister did his books. And she was an older lady, and she was, I'm going to say this gently, hard to get along with okay. right mm-hmm. she was the owner's sister so everybody kind of had to get along with her but she was hard to get along with for everybody yeah and i've i've always been the kind that you know i like i don't really like to be frustrated i like to be fascinated right so every I chance i did don't ask her questions right about things in her life and her story and and she liked telling me about all this stuff right i mean people like talking about themselves and so It got to the point where she finally, I think she felt bad because I was so friendly with her. And she said to me, Kyle, I feel kind of bad that I've treated you this way. But she said, my son went in for minor surgery and he passed away in minor surgery. And I'm in a lawsuit with the hospital. And that's the reason I'm so bitter and angry right now. She said, as soon as this is over... I can get back to myself, right? And I said, oh, you know what? I understand. I get it. Life's not easy, right? And, and well, she, the, the, the lawsuit was finalized and everything was, right, back to normal. And it was interesting because I noticed she moved her bitterness and I, don't, I wouldn't say anger as much as I'd say just kind of hard to get along withness to another thing. Right. Yeah. And then I would go in and talk to her and she would say, sorry, I'm a little moody. You know, this is going on in my life. And as soon as that's over, I can be back to my normal self. Well, as you can probably tell the rest of the story, she that was over. Something else came up, made her mad. You know, gave her a reason to be unkind and rude and not very nice sometimes. And after the fourth or fifth time, I saw a pattern, you know. Yeah. And so we were having a pretty good conversation one day. She seemed to be in a pretty good mood. And I thought, now maybe the time to say maybe there's a pattern, right? I learned a big lesson here. Yeah. (laughs) Don't tell the boss's sister you see a pattern. (laughs) That was the lesson I learned. Because what happened is I became the bitter. Right. And it made me start to realize that living that way, even if things aren't I think we we create patterns in our lives for a lot of things. 
Mm-hmm. And I think if we, and, and I find this in a lot of autism parenting, right? They have to fight for their kids and fight for advocacy and fight for the IEP and fight for services and fight for this. And they become fighters and yep. that fighting bleeds into everything they do. Right. And they become fighters and they become, they're angry at the state and at the, at the world and at the country and at God. And, and they become these angry people. Right. And it bleeds into their kids. It bleeds into their relationships with other people. And I think um, it can become easy for it's, it's common to find people, and I'm not attaching this to you because I know, I know you and I know what things have hit your family, right? I yeah. know, right? It's, and so, and a lot of it's just been outside forces that you have no control over, right? Which yeah. is the kind of the, the worst. But it's easy to fall into patterns of thinking when you say, I found this in myself when I say, yeah, what else is going to happen? Well, something else happens. You yeah. ask that question, you get answered, right? Mm-hmm. Or it really can't get much worse than this, and it, and then it does because you've asked that question, and you right, and and so I think it's it's a trap that we can all fall into. Number one, right? But number two, I think it's not a bad idea to start reframing those those thoughts, right? And so how we do that? How do you reframe the acceptance that mortality is full of trials and life? is tough how do you reframe how do you reframe that because there's an acceptance that is very empowering in that process of realizing it's the humility that comes out of the fact that you know what this is i'll tell you i'll tell you there's good for me how in the heck i'll tell you there's i have an interesting story in that because my dad when i was a kid i think i've told this story we used to go to beaumont every year Three hundred miles from Walmart. Every time we'd go, we'd break down, and we'd sit there on the side of the road for four, five, six hours waiting for help. And I asked my dad, "Why do we keep doing this? You know, we're going to break down." My dad said, "Well, it's just a trip until something goes wrong. Then it's an adventure." Yeah. (laughs) And he said it with this big smile, right? And and it changed me. And I realized life is kind of boring. You know, days can kind of meld into each other pretty easily, right? Until something goes wrong horribly wrong right okay you can disagree but my point is this we can it's it's the acceptance number one but the second part is now it's an adventure because i get to write a script for how i manage this what i do the other thing i think we do in our family is like we'll be driving and we'll have a flat tire mm-hmm. right and usually it feels like it's when you're late to church or when you're going somewhere important right right yeah and so you say, you know, why now? This is the worst time for a flat. But in reality, probably the best time in the world for a flat. You know what I'm saying? It really is, right? Yeah. Or people that say, you know, with my luck, so-and-so is going to happen. Right? We don't say that in my family. We say in our family, in our family we say, well, with my luck, some good crap is going to happen. <laughs> right? We just, there's a lot of things that become these repeatable things we say, Right? Me and my kids tend to go to Walmart in the evenings after everything's the day is done, right? Yeah. They, with football and basketball and craziness, we go at nine o'clock. And I always pull into Walmart, and there's no, there's really nobody at Walmart towards the evening, and so I always get a a, a spot right in front. Mm-hmm. And I always tell my kids, "No, I got this spot, don't you?" And they say, "Why is that?" I say, "Cause I'm living right." 
Oh, right? And now cool. they don't even like here. I'll say, you know, I got this spot. They'll say, you're living right. I'll say, yeah. You know, now I'll say, you know, I got this spot. And they say, shut up, dad. But I know it affects them. Right. I know it. I know they hear it. They know. Right. I think the, the idea is to say. Is, you know, a lot of it is just this optimistic attitude. Right. And, it, and it's a learned thing for me because mm -hmm. that's not my natural inclination. Is to is to face things with a certain with to say, you know what? I'll share another story with you. Yeah. And then I want to get I want to let you talk. So one of my favorite basketball players of all time is Magic Johnson. Oh yeah. Right? Magic Johnson. I'm a huge fan of Magic Johnson. I love the way he played the game. I love the way he was unselfish. I love the way he had a big giant smile on his face all the time. He loved mm -hmm. it. Right? Yeah. Well, during the height of his career, Magic Johnson, and this is so long ago, may, many people may not know, contracted AIDS. Mm -hmm. And at that time, AIDS was a death sentence. Yep. Okay. And when he contracted AIDS and it, it was made public, he had people coming out of the woodworks calling him, crying. You know, they thought he was going to die. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget a story of a trainer I heard this story from a trainer who was very close to magic and couldn't call him. He, he didn't want to, he couldn't call him. He couldn't talk to him. He was so distraught. And magic Johnson is, has an infectious personality. Absolutely. Right? People love it. Well, eventually this trainer, he says, you know, a month later, he said, magic is going to be so mad at me. I haven't called him. And I, you know, he thinks I probably don't care. And he called magic. And he said, magic, I, the reason I didn't call is because it, this is it. I'm I'm distraught, hurt so bad for you. And here's what magic told him. Magic said, hey, don't you worry about it. If anybody is going to survive this, it's going to be me. Mm -hmm. Right. And the guy, hey, buddy. And the guy, he said in the in his worst moment and in magic's magic probably thought it was a who knows, you know. Magic turned to that guy and said, dude, I'm the man for this challenge. I am the man for this challenge. Right now. When you if you know Magic Johnson, you know, it wasn't said in arrogance. Right. Right. That's not who he is. And so I'm going to say this in with no arrogance. And I, I, it's kind of sounds arrogant sometimes. But when people say to me, I couldn't live through what you've lived through. I say, you know what? You could. And guess what? Or they say, I don't know how you're doing it. I say, I'm the man. This is, I am going to be the model for how to handle this. Right? That's who I am. Now, do I really think God is saying, oh, yeah, I got something else for you? No, I don't think that. I don't think that's the way he thinks. I hope that's not the way he thinks. Right. <laughs> right? I hope he's not going, Kyle's handling this a little too well. What can I hit him with now that, you know, I, I don't think he does that. I don't think that's the way God looks at us, right? I think he wants us to to endure well, right? But I, but I, I think he lets things happen, and I think our job is to endure well, right? And to say, and to have that confidence because we're going to take action and because we're going to get our family together, and we're going to mm -hmm. say, hey, let's do this. Let's. Let's face this challenge head on. Let's, you know, 
I don't know if you know that bison face as storms come in, bison face the storm head on, right? Because yeah. they're they're built that way, right? And and it's really interesting. It's an interesting concept to they're not afraid of those storms. I mean, maybe they are. I, I can't read a bison's mind. But they turn into it, right? And I think what you're talking about when you talk about getting your kids together and saying, hey, what are we going to do? Let's let's be action takers here. Let's take action and turn into it. Right. And so I think that's kind of what you're talking about is is and what I believe is the best way. To, now, it doesn't mean we're not going to be shocked by the power of the storm. Sometimes mm-hmm. I've written about that. Yeah. Sometimes I'm shocked. I'm shocked at things, the power of that storm and the. And it's humbling when I feel so attacked by the adversary, right? It's mm-hmm. absolutely, and I'm I'm on the edge, right? I mean, push to the edge of what I think I can manage, right? I mean, right up to the edge, even to a point where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I need, I got to have help from deity, right? I got, yeah. I need my lifeline, and I am pulling that lifeline at this moment, right? Yep. And I think that's kind of. When some storms are so powerful and frequent, right, and they keep hitting you and you think, when is this storm going to end? I think taking action is a big part of that, right? And also saying this is an adventure that I'm going to be on. What do I get out of it? I can get bitter, frustrated, angry. I can get mad at the world, mad at God, or I can get the good stuff. What's the good stuff I can get? And that you talked about that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Go ahead. Well, finish up and then I want to ask you about your kids and what it's done for them. Turning okay. Into it. So you you said something that I think is interesting because you you uh, for you, optimism is a learned behavior. I think that's kind of how you said it. I didn't get it exactly right. Mm-hmm. But for me, optimism was my natural state. And so it almost sounds like we both had to get a little balance in our perception of the world. And so for me, uh, a lot of my inaction was caused by my belief, my optimism that this too shall pass. This is gonna be fine. It's gonna get better. It was it was natural for me. It, people would be like, when it first started happening, Kyle, the first stuff, one right after another, right after another, I was just shaking it off. I'd go to church and people would be like, I heard this happen. I'd be like, yeah. Isn't that crazy? How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, it's going to be fine. Life's good. God's great. This is going to be, you know, we'll get through this. No problem. No problem. And, and then things, you know what? I, I learned that, uh, an optimistic attitude by itself can just be as big of a barrier to taking action as a negative attitude. And Interesting. that for me was like, okay, I I need to not just hope and pray to use your little thing that hope and a prayer is not a plan, right? That's your <laughs> quote, right? It's good. good. It is a good quote. Um, hope and no, the, prayer hope and with a prayer. plan is a good way yes, to go. There we go. Yeah. So for, for me, um, and, and, you know, you asked the question, how did this affect my my kids? Well, I saw the biggest change 
in my uh 18 year old son who uh he was the one when you know a few years ago was battling the suicide ideation and the massive depression and the self-harm and um by by turning it into serving others and helping others he got extraordinarily passionate and did his lows are probably you know it's hard to quantify things but let's just say uh 3000 uh 3000 depth uh is where he had gotten before his low the lowest i've seen him since we've started trying to help others on purpose with focus i think the lowest he's gone is probably a thousand you know about a third as bad as it's been in the past and that didn't last very long so the depth of his depression and anxiety was far shallower and the longevity of it it was actually quite short compared to um you know the i call them ruts when you you know if you're if you've ever been in a true rut even with a car with awesome tires sometimes if that rut is deep enough you're you're not getting out of it without getting right momentum going and then you can climb the sides but if you're just trying to wiggle your way out without moving it never happens um anyway so for my the biggest change was probably for him um is that turn of that focus and uh we've recorded some videos together and he has now uh he's taken on more and more just himself and he he's not getting compensated by connect and conquer uh for the content he's creating none of us do uh but my older kids my older three kids they're getting compensated very poorly for the work they're doing trying to get things out and and moved over so that we can start getting into a rhythm of sharing and with our game that's uh, being released in october or at the end of this month in probably 10 days really exciting that they're going to be a big part of that part and it's the focus has shifted to oh my goodness can you believe this to oh that's going to be some interesting content how do we express it accurately in a way that's relatable for others so a, a lot of the details we don't we don't share all the details yet because it's simply right. not relatable right <laughs> yeah right. we have kids on the autism spectrum okay a typical family doesn't have that um so you know it's not our main focus our main focus is the the external things that happen to us and we just happen to have a lot of those things and one or two of them are relatable to others and so right. it's a weird mix but the focus for the kids um my relationship with the kids have got, has gotten more intimate because we've been able to process some things that we were we weren't it's not like we were avoiding the subject but we weren't analyzing it to see how this could be helpful to someone else and that that change that it's almost therapeutic i'm going to say it is therapeutic but i'm not a doctor and i'm not a counselor i have a great counselor uh who i'm very grateful for but it's um it allows us to get out of our own way so that we don't hold this 
thing that's happened to us, not by not as consequences of what we've done to ourselves, right? There, that's right. that's painful enough. But this, right. these are eternal things that just happen because of mortality. We're, we're living in mortality. Car accidents happen, brain injuries happen, broken backs happen, uh, high, uh, hernias happen, uh, infections happen. These are things that happen, and it's okay. It's not the end of the world. And now it's okay. How can this help someone else? If, if we knew that this was going to happen, what advice would we give ourselves in the future? And how can we express that in a way someone else can absorb it? Maybe sock it away so that when this thing or something like it does happen, they can then pull it out of their filing cabinet and just go, you know what? The Watsons, they dealt with some pretty hard things let's try one of their techniques. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm loving what I'm hearing and I'm going to, I'm going to tie another bow on a few things here and you tell me I'm not from off. Okay. Okay. It almost sounds like me and we do this in our family. We talked about this years ago, stepping outside of ourselves and looking in at ourselves as if we're a third part person. Right. Yes. And you talked about analyzing can be helpful. Yeah. Right. Some, you almost got to, step outside your world and look into your world from the outside, right? And say, yes, because hey, Kyle, Kyle is really struggling. Hold on. You just hit on something okay. that is the truth from my perspective. If okay. you analyze what is going on without being outside of yourself, you get analyst, you get paralyzed. There's some saying, I can't say it, but it's analysis paralysis. That's it. That's where that comes from because you you get so it it it's overwhelming but if you can shift it into how can i make this good for others and let's analyze it external it, that analyze that analyzation is less likely to cause paralysis or to prevent you from moving so anyway i just yeah. wanted to hit that because it's such a powerful principle when you're going through right. the sludge and the muck and the mud yeah, stop, stop analyzing the muck and the mud and take a step back and analyze how you're getting through the muck and the mud and what can be different or better as you take another step forward. Yeah, we talk, we talk a lot about writing your own movie. Oh, that's right? a good and one. You can't, really, you can't really write your own movie from within yourself. You have to step outside your own world and say, how would Kyle handle this if he was, had his crap together? You know, yeah. how would yeah. he face this challenge? How would a hero face this challenge? Right. Mm -hmm. how, and, and it's, it, that sounds really silly, but my kids and I've talked about this a lot. Right. I mean, the hero and the villain have the same story, right? Yep. They were beaten, battered and destroyed as when they were young and the hero and the villain says, I was beaten and battered and destroyed. And so I'm going to beat beaten, battered and destroy the world. And he becomes a villain. Right. And the hero says, I was beaten and battered and destroyed, and I'm not letting that happen to anybody else. I'm going to save the world, right? And and that's a lot of it is saving yourself is stepping outside and saying, okay, stop, stop everything that's going on, stop analyzing internally, and step outside and say, I'm going to write this script that's a it's a triumph over tragedy, right? Yeah, I, I'm you know, and I'm going to be the hero of my own story. How does the hero? turn this into gold, right? And so it's a pretty, the other thing you said I loved, which is you said your son, 
and I, I believe this, and I haven't very often heard you say I, I just spouted the truth. So I appreciate that. That might be the first time in all the amount of time we've talked. <laughs> is uh, I've thought it often. Is, I haven't interrupted for it, though. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better. I thought it was his first time. <laughs> uh, you said your son, your 18-year-old son, it, he's got a passion for it. Mm-hmm. Right? It and, and I've always believed that there's a couple ways to to create action, right? The best way to create action is through passion. Passion is the fuel for action, right? And I think it's hard to be passionate about ourselves. It's really hard to say. It almost feels arrogant or, you know, narcissistic or whatever, right? But it's easy to be passionate about helping others or, or knowing that your story if designed properly or if written properly can help others and, and can uplift others, right? It's that's what we want to do. Right. And it's the opposite of, you know, you mentioned, and I'm going to, I'm going to touch on this a little bit. I want to hear your opinion of it because we're talking about connect and conquer. Mm -hmm. And I think you mentioned you'd have, you've had a, a cousin commit suicide, another one attempt suicide and your son has been in that, realm too yeah my nephews and, uh, one committed suicide another one attempted and they, they were all the same age as my son which leads me to there's connection there too right now i'm not saying your son didn't already have those thoughts but there's there's something in it there's something called mass hysteria and if you study it right there's this it's a connection point it can be a connection point there was a in recent years, and I think it's one of Malcolm Gladwell's books again, he talks about, I think in the Philippines, they, they had this uh, a suicide problem in, in teen boys between the age of 14 and 18 that was out of control for 10 years. And, and it was because it became this this thing that, mm -hmm. that boys are looking at and going, wait a minute, when he's gone, everybody talks good about him. You know, they, they he, he becomes this hero. He died young. He's like, you know. It's it and, and it, there's a lot of and there's connection there in that direction. Right. right we can yeah. use connection in a lot of ways. Right. And I love what you said at the very beginning. Uh, connect with yourself, connect with others and connect with deity. Mm -hmm. Right. Because when you're doing those things, when you're connecting with yourself and others, and deity, deity is an important part of that, because if you connect with self and you connect with others, you can connect with others in harmful ways. Sure. Right. Yeah. Now, my kids have never been around suicide, right? That's That would be a brand new – it's not even something on the table for my kids. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it could be put on the table pretty quickly. Yeah. Right? It, it, it's, not in their, it's not in their group of associates, right? Yeah. And so it's important and, – and it's – you know – it, we got to pay attention to who our kids watch and what they do and what they're thinking about those things and all those. Right. And and that's part of connection with your kids in, yeah. in a spirit of love. Right. And connecting with deity as well. So I'm. I'm curious about. You said something earlier I want to touch on now, which is. Optimism is a learned thing for me. Mm -hmm. Optim was, was a built in thing for you, but. It caused you, you know, when the world beats the crap out of you, 
when the world beats the crap out of you, and it will, mm -hmm. you challenge your beliefs. Right? Because your beliefs are beliefs because they help you create a reasonably good world to live in. <laughs> or a world that you create, right? Right. And so I would think somebody who is eternally optimistic would be like you. But you're saying at some point the beatings got so hard and heavy and the storm is so strong. You're like, I can't just optimism my way through this. That's right. What What did you, what was your, what was the cycle you went through when you, obviously you, you, you said that maybe subconsciously at one point, my optimism is not working. How did you not lose that optimism? It, Tell me. It, it was actually my wife who said it. Your optimism isn't going to help us out of this situation. <laughs> I think that might have been a direct quote. So how did it, how did it, how did you rethink? Optimism never hurts, right? Or, or does it? Well, I, so that's something I'll, I'll think about for a while because okay. I, there are very, very few virtues that taken to an extreme cannot become a vice. I think compassion is the one virtue that I haven't been able to figure out how it becomes a vice, but for optimism, okay. the, the simple belief that it's going to be way better than okay can be an excuse not to do things that you need to do in order to help them be okay. And what, when my wife pleaded with me, that's uh, when she said that, that was her pleading with me to do something to help the situation instead of just going about my merry way going, well, I don't know about what you, I don't know what's going on here, but it's going to be okay. You know, and that eternal optimism, that spark internally knowing, and I truly believe that is going to be way better than just okay. Okay is not where we're going to end up. It's going to be way better than that. It, it, in fact, it informs my core belief structure so that when I get into religious discussions, um, sometimes the mercy aspect of God's um plan for us of justice and mercy i i i just embrace the mercy right it, it i i hope it's for everybody the worst my worst enemy in the world i hope they're in front of me in the line of the judgment bar and i hope they get through because then i'm gonna be like oh yes they made it maybe i can too right that that's <laughs> how i perceive the world and right unfortunately when your family is suffering from the reality of mortality, the, the belief by itself is not enough. The belief that it will get better by itself is not helpful. Uh, in, in fact, my wife and I have talked about this recently. Uh, when someone has been struck with tragedy, when someone has been struck with the worst thing that I can think of, which is the premature death of a child by their own hand, that if your faith in God is that it's going to be better than okay for them and you express it to them, that's not a help to them. 
That's that's right. not a comfort because they're in the midst of the worst thing that could possibly be. And you're basically you're saying, hey, it's going to be fine. That that does, right. that's not action. That's not anything that can help them. And Sarah and I have talked to quite a bit about that aspect of trying to connect with people who are going who are in the midst of going through it. And most of the stuff we talk about is how do we say what they've expressed to us, we express it back. And by the way, this yeah. worked well with relationships too. If, um, if, uh, yeah. Yeah. if our, uh, my daughters are dating fellas, right. And they, they, they don't know where they stand. Well, of course you don't, you're dating. You, you don't know where you stand. There's no yeah. long-term limit, but if you want to find out, ask them, where they stand and no matter what they say, say, I'm in the same boat. So if they say, well, I'd like to get to know you better, you respond, well, I'm in the same boat. And then they'll think about it for a while and things will progress. It's great. It's a great little tidbit of thing. When someone's in the midst of the struggle and you say, hey, how are you doing? And they say, uh, and I've told a couple of my friends this, I, I'm not doing well. I I don't know how much more I can take. And and their platitude is, oh, it's going to be okay. That's not helpful. Do you know what's really <laughs> helpful is, oh, man, it sounds like you're in the depths of things. And this is where, you know, we actually talked about this before, and I, I didn't push back a whole lot. You know, there's an echo chamber, which... You can get yourself in with a bunch of other people who are struggling and all you guys do, everybody just sits here and they just talk about how awful it is to be in the pit and nobody leaves. Takes action. But nobody takes action. But if you're in the middle of something or if someone you know and care about is in the middle of something, it is uh, completely appropriate to have compassion for them and, and repeat back to them what they said. And if you can put it in your own words, great. But if you can't put it in your own words because you don't understand, you can't you can't even empathize with them, then just repeat back what they said. If they say, man, I'm having a hard time. I don't know what to do. My wife hates me. You know, oh, man, it sounds like you're having a hard time. Just repeat back. And all of a sudden that that makes a connection. And then maybe, maybe, and not all the time, but maybe in the future you can help them, you know, give them a hand up, give them a call later and say, Hey, thinking about you. And there's so much good that comes from these little things. There's a, there's a gal in the neighborhood and I would come home from work and she'd be sitting in our living room talking to my wife. And I would just feel this warmth inside towards this woman because I knew that she was just there to be, to be with my wife as she suffered the things that we were going through. And watching that connection and what it would do for her was priceless. And so sometimes just being there with someone and repeating back what they say they're going through, and a lot of times they don't know how they feel about it because they're still stuck and you got to let them, you got to give right. them room to figure it out. You know, don't solve their problems necessarily every time. 
But at some point, if you build that connection, maybe you can be part of the solution. There's a, you reminded me of a, a story about the uh, Coast Guard. I don't know if you've heard this about the Coast Guard. When they go out and they go out over the ocean and a boat is capsized and there's 20 people on the water and their helicopter can only take five. They have to ask themselves, who do we save? Mm. Right? Now you might think women and children and you'd be wrong. The Coast Guard has a motto and their motto is we save those that are swimming towards us. Mm. Uh, you know, this is really, it's, it's a powerful thing to me because when I see people in pain, I know action can help. Yeah. And I immediately want to say, Hey, I've got the answer. Fill out this form, think this way, do this. And, and I have to check myself very frequently and go into what you said, which is, Hey, just, just talk to me. I'll listen. You know, tell me when you're ready, you know, call me again or, or can I check back with him with you in a week? And maybe they're at that point then when, you know, or you can say, hey, I've experienced something similar. But you don't have to tell them the, how you how you got out of it or how you got out of the rut. You can yeah. you can, you know, have compassion and say, I went through an experience like this similarly, but I, I feel you. I understand. You don't have to solve. But at some point they may say to themselves, Kyle mentioned he went through something like this. And when you call him back a week later, they say, How'd you escape? Or I'm feeling a little bit better about it. And a lot of times too, I think, you know, you and I have done this with each other and you got to be careful with this, but I know I can throw humor at you in the worst of times and you, oh, it yeah. just makes you grin. Right? I love now, it. One of the best things ever. I've also learned that doesn't work with some people That's and true. they, they fall into the category of people that don't like me. <laughs> and, okay. And so I've, I've learned, you know, I've learned I, I probably shouldn't do that with them. Right. You yeah. know, but the, sometimes just your energy, right? The energy you present or bring to them, they can draw on your energy, right? Your stability mm -hmm. or your calmness or uh, I had I had a couple of gentlemen come over to check on me recently uh, from our church, right? This is the month. Next week is is it'll be a year since Shelly passed away. Yeah. So or, I'm sorry, two years. So it's interesting when your wife passes away, everybody comes out of the woodworks to take care of you. Then everything yep. fades away back to normal and you're left on your own, which I knew that was going to happen. I studied this. Mm -hmm. I knew I needed to, to set myself up for success. Right. A year rolls around. Everybody comes out of the woodworks again. Right. To make sure you're OK. And then they disappear again. Right. Which is understandable. Right. Yep. I, I get it. This is the way the world works. I'm not I'm not unique or special. Well, these two gentlemen came over and they're checking on me. And um, and we have conversations. They say, how are you? And they're asking me some pretty detailed, hard questions. Right. And I know why, because not everybody has thought through, hey, I've got this anniversary coming up. Right. You said it. The belief that it's going to get better by itself is a bad belief, right? I'm not going to let the two-year anniversary, I'm not going to let it shock me. <laughs> I know what it's about, yeah. right? And so in talking with these two gentlemen, one of them at the end said to me, you know what? We came over here to check on you, and I'm leaving here feeling inspired. And I said, well, I appreciate that. I, 
I said, I appreciate that you guys have come to check on me and, I, and uh, your energy has helped me, you know, because you've helped me reiterate my plan, my yep. plan of action. And you know I have one, right? And I think that it's it's a powerful thing to just, they were just listening and letting me express what I needed to say out loud that I've written down and I have. But, I, but just them hearing it and saying, sounds like you got a plan. Right. And now I want your plan because I'm inspired. It was was a tremendous. It was a blessing to me for them to come. Right. For multiple multiple reasons. Right. And so I'm curious about. How. The mentality change you've had from your your eternal optimism to. You're still an optimist. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but it's, I'm an optimist. Yeah, action, I don't. I is, go ahead. Sorry. I, I heard a guy one time say, if you think that things are going to get better by not addressing them, he said, leave your house for a year and then come back and see what your house looks like. Right. He said, don't talk to your wife for a year and then come back and see what the relationship is is like. You know, don't talk to your kids for a year and come back and see what the relationship. He said, things don't things naturally crumble yeah if left to their own devices right yep they naturally that's the way the world works you know if you if you leave a city for a year and you come back a year later it's crumbling Mm -hmm. right it it takes upkeep you have to inject energy into any system just to maintain that system you know in our family we call it we call it by default Ah. right it's uh it Parenting by default or, you know, hey, I was raised, my parents raised me, I'm going to do what my parents did, you know, whatever. And it's and it's interesting, my son called me this morning, my oldest son called me this morning and his next door neighbor has a little, little dog. And he called me because he was throwing the ball with the dog, right? He was helping out his neighbor by going over and he, and, and he said, he said something I thought was really powerful. He said, you know what, dad? This little dog, I have to, when she's gone, I have to go walk the dog and play ball with the dog. And as I'm doing it, I see other people walking their dogs and playing ball with their dogs. And, you know, I don't really see, and he said this about himself. He said, I I don't see other parents walking their kids or playing ball with their kids. And he said, you know, the dogs need it because if you don't go walk your dog or play ball with your dog, that dog is going to tear crap up in your house. Yeah. They need that energy release. And he said, I just had this epiphany that I better freaking walk my kids and play ball with my kids. I don't, he said, I think you don't see it anymore because all the kids have iPads and they have all these things to keep them busy. He said, I remember we threw baseball almost every week, my whole life. And I've seen you do You're out there shooting with your kids, shooting baskets and doing these things. And I said, you have to you have to consciously make that decision. It has to be part of your plan. Right. Yep. And he said, I'm so glad I, I, I'm taking care of this dog for this lady because it may. I had this epiphany that I better play catch with my kids and, and walk my kids because little mm-hmm. boys and little girl, girls need to be walked right? or they'll tear crap up. He said, I can't just sit back and expect it to go okay, right? And I said, yeah. that's great. It's not the furniture that they destroy. 
Yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, they do that too, but if you got boys. Okay. <laughs> but you're right. But you're right. You're right. Yeah, the connection is walking that dog. There's a purpose, right? There's a purpose in, with walking your kids or just connecting, you yeah. know, away from just talking and doing those things, right? And having those conversations. And uh, I took my daughter wanted to go over to the Y the other day. So I said, well, you drive and I'll ride with you. And she said, I don't want to drive when you're in the car. Hmm. Well, to me, that's a, that to me, that means there's a reason. Yeah. And my mind starts spinning. Right. So I say, well, you're driving. So I'll just ride with you because she's got a permit and I can ride with her. Right. Yeah. And then we get in the car and she says, can I, can you just drive? I'm tired. I say, you're tired. We're going to the Y. <laughs> well, you know, I, she said, since you're going, you can drive. I said, well, I'm not, I don't really have to go. Do you not want to go? Right. And, and the, it starts the conversation mm-hmm. and it goes around and around and around. until I realize she finally, after driving all the way over there and then driving almost all the way back, that in the past I was a little critical of her drive. Hmm. Right now. You know, and it took all the way over there and then I forced her to drive all the way back because you don't want to do something. There's a reason that I'm figuring it out. I, I can't just let it sit. Right. Yeah. And and it was it was a simple thing, but I'm like, oh, you know what? I didn't see it as critical. I saw it as instructive because that's what I'm supposed to do. But you know what? How would you like me to how would you like how would you like me to communicate with you when you're driving? Because you're a good driver. I'm, I, I sit back and usually just relax. I don't really have to say much. And so she described to me how she would like me to talk to her when we drive. And, you know, and I said, perfect. But it took all the way over there. She wouldn't tell me she was beating around the bush. She was right. And I have a great relationship with my daughter. She'll she's pretty open with me about a lot of stuff. But that was one thing she wasn't ready yet to do, you know. Mm-hmm. But again, it's 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 the connection. It's the, it's the, I had to walk her a long ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to put the leash on her and walk my daughter a long way before she finally made that, made the connection that we needed to have. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and his, his analogy was pretty interesting to me is sometimes it just takes time, right? Sometimes it's, it's my, my daughter and I, all my kids, each of them once a month, we go out just me and each one of them individually. Mm-hmm. Because I know if we go out and we go out somewhere to eat, we're away from everybody else. They don't have to worry about their brothers and sister getting in the middle of things. We right. can have a conversation and eventually they'll tell me if right. something's bothering them or if they want to talk about something or if they're worried about the second anniversary of their mom passing away and how it's going to affect them. Or right. There's it takes sometimes it takes a long walk. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's a good idea to take those long walks sometimes or to play, you know, throw the ball occasionally with them for a little while just to get to that point. So I'm, I, I like the, I like that your wife and I, you know, you and I have talked about this before. We all need checks and balances yeah. in our life. Yep. And our wives, our wives can be wonderful checks and balances for us. And I'm curious how she approached you to challenge your optimism, you know, and I, if she came at you hard, because I know you're saying it very softly, mm-hmm. 
And I appreciate that because I know what kind of man you are. Mm-hmm. But I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. I mean, if the truth is that she came at you softly, that's the truth, right? Yeah, she didn't come at me softly. She, she, came, she came at me frustrated and at her wit's end and desperate. That's. I'm glad you shared that. How did you accept it in a I way that was it. so allowed you to make that change? I'm nah. One of my gifts is taking feedback. And so if someone's upset, I listen. Okay, I'll just give this example. Um, the other day at work, I'm I'm the newest guy in this warehouse. And uh, we're, we're taking these things off. They have barcodes on them. And I'm supposed to put them a certain way so it can be scanned, right? And I'm, I'm unloading, putting it on the belt. And I, I've been trained for all of three minutes on this new area that I'm working. Well, the guy up who's trying to do the scanning, he comes down and yells at the top of his lungs, the barcodes go up! And I, and I'm like, <laughs> and so I, I look at him and I, I say, okay. And so I made sure that I was putting all the barcodes up 20 minutes, half hour goes by. What the freak? The barcodes go up. You gotta get the dot on the side. It's not on the front. It's on the, you put it on. Right. He's just going off. And I say, <laughs> so I repeat back went- to him. Right. Hey, so you're I always love love your impressions. I always love your impressions of people that are angry and frustrated. Sorry. You see me crack up every time. Go keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, he was so frustrated, right? And I'm working with someone else, and I'm the new guy. And so I'm thinking we're we're putting them on the same line. I look over at the guy, I'm like, that guy's not putting the barcodes up, but I'm the new guy, so I'm getting blamed, right? So I'm, I listened, and some other guys come over and say, man, that was just not appropriate. Now, this, I literally said these words, and I believe them to be true. He is irate. He chewed me out in front of everybody. He's not my supervisor. He's just a coworker. But I said, you know what? I appreciated the feedback because he was very clear. His instructions were concise. It was loud enough that I could hear it, which in a warehouse with all the fans blowing, sometimes it's hard to hear. And I said, I, I recognize by the intensity, he's not pleased with the work that's going on. And I thought about it because I actually want to get better. And so I could have gotten mad and been like, I did and other people were like commiserating with me. Oh yeah, that guy yelled at me one time, you know? And I was just like, oh, you know, it was helpful, I think. So here's the rest of the story. This morning, I show up, I, I'm put on that same duty, the same work, and I pull the thing off and I put it down, barcode up, and the guy next to me, different guy than before, he goes, hey, that's not the right way. I was like, the barcode's up. He goes, that's not the right barcode. I was like, there are different ones. He's like, yeah, mm. got to find the right one. I was like, oh my goodness. 
I had no idea. Nobody told me. So I, you know, found it. And then now I'm all looking for the right barcode, unloading this truck, putting it down. Now, here's something that most people wouldn't do. And this is where it's weird. I went and I found my supervisor who listened to this other guy just rip into me and was probably making mental notes about that guy is not someone we want around, right? I went to him and said, look, <laughs> you appreciate sarcasm? Because I don't know him, right? I'm the new guy. I've been there two weeks. And he's like, yeah, I, I, I do. And I was like, okay, so first of all, I just need you to know, see, these are barcodes. They go up. And he's like, okay, yeah, that's not very funny, right? But then I was like, listen, I just found out the barcodes, I was putting any barcode up. And so that guy up there who couldn't scan the the uh, boxes, it's because the bar, not all the barcodes are equal. I was putting any barcode up. That's totally on me because you told me to make sure it was this barcode. And he certainly told me multiple times. And I just didn't understand until... Uh, the guy who I was working with this morning was awesome. He was so cool. He's like, he's the ideal person to be new with because he's like, see, look, and education and help me. But I, that's weird. Most people wouldn't accept someone irate and angry and passionate and yelling about something and <laughs> look for the truth and how they can be better. So, it's not fair to say, hey, how did you accept it? Because that's not a normal. I I listened and I went, okay. Okay, I I can, I, so, I will figure out what to do next. I won't just use my so here, optimism to keep going through it. So this is why I love this because here's why I love your and my relationship. Yeah. Right. Because people might get on here and say, well, these are two guys just mirroring each other. They're the same guy, right? Hmm. If that guy would have screamed at me to put the barcode up, I might have screamed, put your mama up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what I would have screamed yeah. back. You ain't my boss. Put your mama up. Right? Yeah. That would have been my reaction, right? So when when your wife comes at you, and my wife has come at me, mm -hmm. right? So this is a learned behavior for me too, right? Hmm. Learning that... It's not always me, right? And my my son on the spectrum taught me this. It's not me. Most of the time, it's not me. It's his own frustration or discouragement. And, and sometimes it's me, right? Sometimes it is. Yeah. But either way, I can't, I can't, like if my, if my wife comes at me guns blazing, first of all, my wife is, was very feminine and that really wasn't her approach generally. So we, we we worked well together because she was she was more likely to come to me and bat her eyes and say, "Hey, I'm seeing something that you can help me with," right? That right. was her general approach, and that worked well. But if she did come at me with guns blazing, then I would I'm ready for a fight, right? And so, but here's what's interesting, and I and I this is something I had to learn. And so this is why I like it, because you come at it from one perspective, which is it's my nature to just listen yeah. and respond. Take the take. My nature's not that way at all. Right. So the guys out there that are that are like me. I want to let you know, you can do it. it it's a, you have to practice it, right? You have to, you know, the weight formula. What am I thinking? You have to you have to say, 
when my wife would come at me blazing, I'd have to say, is this productive? Is it helpful? Is it, it, it how can I do this in a spirit of love? And I'd have to stop. And, and she would even call me out on it. What do you, tell me what you're thinking. I say, give me a second. <laughs> you don't want to hear what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> I'm thinking I want to sock you in the mouth, right? That's not, but I, but I know that's not appropriate, right? So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that out loud, but that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And I would think, how do I approach this correctly, right? And my wife did a good job at. You know, there were times, but when when your wife is stressed out and the the world is crumbling, in mm-hmm. in your in and she's desperate, she's not going to come to you batting her eyes, right? She's going right. to come to you in desperation, in yep. fear, in in. Uh, you know, is this even the guy that can make this right? Is this the guy I should be following, or is this my the guy I want to follow? You know, and so, in in when you fight, right? I think when things go wrong, we have this tendency to to want to blame somebody, right? And it's yeah. easy to blame our spouse because they're so close to us, right? And so it's easy to do that. And so I think it's it's imperative that we as men realize that we're the easiest target and mm-hmm. we have to we have to exercise extreme patience and really the best way to solve those problems is is to take action whether that be imperfect action you know you said early in the being you said you said we can't we're not going to try to reach perfection with this thing we're just we're just going to be and and I and immediately I thought you're just going to be authentic oh we're not yeah to be perfect Trying to be authentic, right? And I think, and so I think when, you know, the fact that you handle it so well and so beautifully is just the opposite of I can see, imagine myself in that situation, at least initially, the young Kyle, you know, would have said, well, if you don't freak out so much, maybe this crap wouldn't be right. I could see yeah. all kinds of things going through my mind, right? <laughs> if you aren't so overly emotional, right? This is what men naturally go to. Right. And so it's imperative that we take a, a beat. Mm-hmm. Right. And realize, hey, there's a couple of ways I can handle this. One is going to make it worse. One is not going to be done in the spirit of love. One is going to cause me a lot of problems down the road. I, I, I do want to. Also. As part of that, make the men realize, too, that by taking that passive role in those moments does not mean. That you're you're not being a man right it means you are being a man a lot of times a lot of times the hardest it was harder for me i thought i I, it took more strength for me to be passive in those moments and i learned this especially with my son eric when he comes to me with his fist balled up and he's ready to punch me the natural me would just as soon knock him out that's Mm -hmm. easy but it takes more strength for me to to manage that you know emotion and do the right thing in that moment. And I think it's a powerful thing. And you're not going to lose credibility with your wife by saying, hold on, hold on. Let me, let's figure this out. Right. Let's, and, and listening and taking it all in and then taking action and, and engaging her and saying, I'm considering taking this action. What action do you think I should take? Right. Sometimes they'll be so frustrated. They'll say, I don't care what action you take. Just do something. Right. I, I've, I've heard that before and I'm sure all of us have. Yeah. But maybe when the emotion dies down a little bit to say, listen, I'd, I'd like your help. I want to create something together with you. You're my partner in this. Will you, 
I remember telling my wife one time I was doing something that I thought was right and she didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And I said, there's a couple ways I'm going to do this. And there's a couple ways this can go. You can either run beside me and we're going to get there faster. Or you can hop on my back and you can weigh me down. But I'm going to get there. Or you can tie a rope to me and I can drag your butt. But I'm going to get there. So there's a couple ways you can handle this. I would love it if you would run beside me. And if you want to run beside me, let's do a plan together. Let's run together. Let's run together. Right. And, and I love how you started this whole thing. I set my family down. I said, here's what we're going to do. Do you want to participate? Do you want to join in? And your kids got passionate about it. They got it fueled their action. Right. It fueled yeah. your action. And, and now you guys, it doesn't mean the storm is past. It means you're facing that storm and you're and you're getting stronger and you're using it to become stronger. Mm -hmm. Right. And when the next storm, you're going to have what you're going to say, hey, we faced storms before. We got this right. This one's a little crazier. Mm -hmm. This one's harder. Right. Maybe we need more lifeline on this one. Right. Yeah. There are times when, I, when I'm. I have people say to me, I don't know how you can do what you do. And I say. Yeah, I don't either sometimes, but I do a lot of times I'm working at it, right? I have action. I'm taking action. I do I always have that lifeline. And I'm going to I'm going to use it. I'm going to make sure that it's strong, right? You talked about connection with deity. Yeah. Your lifeline can be this little thread, right? Your lifeline has to be this big, giant rope, ladder, hand reaching down to pull you out. Sometimes, right? Well, so let's talk a little bit about that because um, I, I think it maybe is I, the ideal is to have a big, fat, thick steel cable, you know, tying you to deity. But I think the reality is most of us have a lot of room for improvement. And when I would say, let me put it this way. When life strikes a blow and you realize you could use help from a higher power, that is an opportunity to build that stronger cable, that stronger connection. And if, um, even if it's just a hope that maybe there's something there, and if you just take a little bit of action towards that, then you will feel something i and it i'm not going to say it's going to change your life by any stretch of the imagination it's not a it's not a it's not a formula it's not two in 18 out it is uh incremental recognition that you are not the ultimate power in the universe and that too there is a higher power and I don't care if you, what you call the higher power, if you reach towards that, it, the, the philosophy alone of reaching towards something outside of yourself is a benefit and will be blessed. And if you get to know the properties of the higher power, then from a, a religious perspective, my faith is in Jesus Christ as my ultimate Lord, my savior. And 
recognizing no matter what I do, I'm going to be flawed. And if I start with his mercy and his, see, there I go, mercy again, right? I love the mercy side of things. But if I, if I rely on him first, it does make it a lot easier for me to do all the other things. And that connection with God, that connection with my family, and the connection with myself to recognize that I'm flawed and I'm natural and I'm not immune to the realities of mortality just because I have a great attitude, that, um, that has allowed me to really step forward and lean into the wind and not just face it, but to leverage it to fly like a kite and to rise above a lot of the things that uh, was beating me up along the path. And, you know, I'm going to share this. Um, one of the most meaningful things in my 27 years of marriage happened just the other day as my wife and I were talking about this business. And we were talking about misunderstanding and non-communication and getting distracted by life. And um, she said... The reason I want to know all the details is so that if this doesn't, if this fails, it's not that you, it's not a fail. How did she put it? It was such a beautiful thing and it made me feel so warm and fuzzy inside. She said, I want the, oh, that's what it is. She goes, she said, I want the failure of the business to be ours, not yours. And I've, I've rarely in my life felt as much love and compassion from my spouse because I was having a rough go. We had some setbacks this, this month, oh, brutal business setbacks had to terminate a developer that we've spent, a you know, multiple thousands of dollars. We'll say, you know, I'll just say multiple tens of thousands of dollars that we don't necessarily have and uh, had to fire him yesterday. And in preparation for this, my wife's like, let's get, let's get all the details there. I want this to be our failure, not your failure. And that connection with her, oh my goodness. Did I, did I charge into this week much better off knowing that I was going to have to do some pretty rough and tough things because I had that connection with her? And that's really kind of the, the, the end message about all of this is the connections that you have with others allow you to conquer the insecurities, fear, and doubt that prevent you from taking action. It doesn't mean that you conquer and you stop having the problems. It means you, you conquer the uh, lack of movement, the lack of inertia, and the, the fear and the anxiety and the depression that really causes you to isolate and withdraw and pull back into yourself. And so when we talk about connecting with others and connecting with yourself and connecting with deity, the purpose is to help you conquer the, the results of inaction in adversity. It's, it's not to have you overcome the, the adversity per se. It's not to help you overcome 
the depression because sometimes that's out of our hands. We, you can't, you can't decide not to be depressed in the same way you can't decide to not have cancer. I don't care what you've learned about optimism. It doesn't work that way. I know it doesn't. I'm naturally optimistic right. and I've been affected by <laughs> depression. I've, I had a head injury where I got really irritable. I'm the most laid back guy you can imagine. And I'm ticked off at people because of a concussion to the, you know, my brain was messed up. So it, uh, and see, I, it, I forget that this is for others. So I don't know if I'm making it. <laughs> I'm just talking to my buddy, Kyle. It, 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 I'm going to put a bow on it in, Cameron. I'll put a bow on it. Yeah. It's not about <laughs> avoiding the hardship. It's not about that. It's about dealing with the fact you're having hardship. And that makes the hardship less impactful in a negative way and potentially, maybe, possibly makes it a, a benefit to you and your family, not just now, but maybe in years to come. And I don't know about that side. That's my hope. That's the optimistic part of me. And we'll see. Because so far, it's been a great thing. But man, I, I just, I'm tired of the, the waiting for it to get better aspect of things. So I'm going to tie a bow on this in this way. Because I think, I think what you said is something my, as Shelly used to say, she would say, just because you know how to eat food, right? Doesn't mean you'll, you won't have to eat food anymore. Huh. Okay. Right? She said, there you go. And, and she, she equated that to, she equated that to a trial, you know, a challenge in your life. It doesn't mean something won't come back, right? If you face a challenge and, and you do it well, like you learn how to face that challenge, Mm -hmm. And you create a plan for it and you dress it and you go to work and you go through it and you endure well. It doesn't mean it won't come back, right? You're still going to have to eat. What it does mean is the next time it comes, you're like, I, I know how to do this. I can do this in a, right? I can do this and endure well. It doesn't right. mean it's not going to happen again, right? Uh, a trial is only a trial if you don't know what to do. If you know what to do, you, you'll get to work. You start to take action, right? It doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean it's not going to be painful, but you've got a plan. You've got some action you can take, you know, right? And this is where I, I truly believe what you guys are doing is tremendous because there's too much. Uh, after my wife passed away, somebody gave me a book, you know, and it was uh, it was full of quotes, Right. The Lord will never leave you in, in those tough times. Turn to the Lord. And, you know, the, the story about when, you know, you're walking on the sand, the footprints, and there's only one set of footprints. You know, all the, all, you, the flowery yeah. stuff I'm, all, the, all the flowery stuff that I'm not really into, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of that out there, Okay. What I'm suggesting, and, and I appreciate that. I understand. Again, I'm, I appreciate those things. I get that. They that can helps. be comforting can, to people. They can be comforting to people. Yes. But. But. 
yeah, faith and hope is good. Mm-hmm. But it's not a plant. It's not going to, right? There's there's a difference in enduring and enduring well in my mind, right? And the only way to endure well is to learn to endure well through those trials, right? If you're just waiting for its end and then it ends, you go, that was tough. I hope I never have to face that again. The next time it comes along and it will, you're going to do the same exact thing, right? I used yeah. to work with a girl, so funny to me. She was a mess. Emotionally, just an absolute mess. Okay. Okay. And and I like to think, uh, and she would talk about emotional intelligence, right? And she would she would drone off about her emotional intelligence. And I started to think about this a lot because she had read a book on emotional intelligence and what these emotions mean, how emotions work. You know, it's just incredible. I mean, you can go, you can draw on and on about how they mean, what they mean, how they work, how they affect you. The, the problem she had is she couldn't control her emotions whatsoever, right? She had no emotional control whatsoever. She had a tremendous amount of emotional intelligence, but she thought that was the answer. But she was a mess because she had no, she hadn't acted. She hadn't taken an action on anything, right? Yeah. And so I wasn't going to solve, I wasn't going to solve her problems. I wasn't going to. I'm not that guy. Again, I've learned. And you don't tell the boss's daughter or relative, hey, you might be she, the she problem. Came in and she came and she, till she came in and told and asked me, what would you do in this situation? I said, oh, I have a, you want to see my worksheet? You have a worksheet? I said, yeah, I have an action. I have an action worksheet for this. Can you show it to me? I showed it to her and she said, I've been in a therapy for a year talking about this understanding it, figuring it all out, rehashing it. You just handed me something that can help me solve it. I'm like, I know. Why don't you show me this a long time ago? I said, hey, I'm the Coast Guard, right? That's funny. <laughs> I'm the Coast Guard, right? But it was like, yeah. you've just taken a year's worth of baloney I've been, right? What we're saying, I think, and this is goes back to what you said in the very beginning, connect and conquer. You said, I set my kids down. And I said, hey, I think we can build a business doing this. Do you want to participate? What will you do? What will you do? What will you do? Your kids took action. They took responsibility. They took control. It didn't change the fact that they weren't facing the challenges. You're still facing challenges. I am too, right? Mm-hmm. The reason we're bubbly and happy is not because we're not getting smacked around all the time, right? I don't right. want people to take this the wrong way, Right. I'm coming up on two years without the love of my life. My wife was my steadying force in my life. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I talked to a friend of mine who said whenever he gets overwhelmed and he feels like the weight of the world's too heavy, he goes hikes and it settles him down. What do you do to settle you down? I would talk to my wife. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. What do you do now? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. What do I do? Right Now, don't think I haven't, created a cost worksheet for that and adjusted, 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 adjusted. I'm working at it, right? And I think therein lies the answer is the working at it. It doesn't mean maybe I'll never figure it out. Maybe maybe the answer is in the work itself, right? Maybe the answer is in the action. Maybe the action moves me in the right direction, right? Yeah. And maybe I die, maybe I die trying, but I'm not going to stop. I'm going to die trying. I need to continue, right? 
And I think therein lies the, the everything we're talking about here is to sit back and to isolate and to, right, and to get in your own head. You know, we talked about that, getting in your own head and and analysis by paralysis. And, yep. you know, get out a piece of paper, start writing your thoughts down, share it with others, right? Post on pages. Just do something that creates action and lets you start to think through this from the outside in. And that'll really help you to face those challenges, right? Yep. Face those challenges. My son. You know, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go. you go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it, you almost quoted one of my favorite authors, Brandon Sanderson. Um, in in what the quotes go like, some of them are life before death, journey before destination. And uh, I, I think sometimes we get caught up with the destination, not realizing that the journey itself has value. And, uh, you know, I'm a destination guy, right? I... Uh, Growing up, I did not like hiking because I wanted to get to the spot and then I wanted to stay in the spot and enjoy the spot. I didn't enjoy getting to the spot. I love travel now and I actually enjoy camping, but I love the process of getting to where we're going. And all too often, my where Sarah and I are mostly unaligned is I have a vision of where we're going and that's sufficient to me to get through a lot of the sludge and the mud and the yuck because of that optimistic it's going to be great but in the journey yeah. itself there are things that you can do to make life better and if you're not doing those things well maybe just a little bit of a shame on you okay in the spirit of love but you can take some, you can do things to make things better potentially. And even if they don't make things better, at least you tried and you can adjust, adjust, adjust to quote you. Right. Right. And right. You, and what's the worst to ha that can happen to quote your dad die trying. Yeah. Right. There's some wisdom there too. And I know, I know that those who don't know me, my family, they're probably going, yeah, actually they probably stopped watching by this point. Right. Let's be honest. But yeah, the, right. the real, the real thing is we're, we're trying to make the journey have value to our family. And if we can help others along the way, so much the better, but bottom line, we're going to continue to do this because it has made the journey better. It's like injecting air conditioning into the car instead of cranking the windows down and driving fast. It's much Four, the, You talk about 455 air conditioning? That's right. Four windows Four, down, 55 miles an hour air conditioning. That's right. Now it's 485, right? Because you can go really fast. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Good stuff, Cameron. I agree. Thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you, Cameron. It's always fun. Yeah.